in 2006. For those of you who know me, I'm a, I've always been a bit of a movie buff, and I've enjoyed watching movies. Some just mindless violence, others some really deep and thoughtful ones. No, not really. Uh, but in 2006, there were two movies directed by Clint Eastwood. And I really liked these movies because what they were was a move, they were focused on a particular event in World War II, what some people consider a, a, a crucial turning point in the Second World War. One movie was called The Flags of Our Fathers. The second movie was called Letters from Iwo Jima. And what they were, were the same event, the same battle, and the same location, but portrayed from each specific perspective. So Flags of Our Fathers was the movie looking at the battle viewed from the American's perspective. Letters from Iwo Jima was the same battle viewed from the Japanese soldier's perspective. And they're both done very, very well. Now, while you sit there and ask, well, what relevance does that have for us today, is because in continuing from the message last week, as we looked at Hebrews 11, verses 30 and 31, we are essentially given something that's akin to those two movies. We are given two separate perspectives of the same event that takes place. One was from Joshua's perspective in verse 30, as he was moving into the unknown, as God had called him as God had directed him, as God had instructed him, as God had equipped him, and through the voice of the people, gained victory. Today's verse is actually looking at verse 31 of Hebrews 11, which is looking at Rahab as an inhabitant from Jericho. So if you look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, we read this. By faith, the prostitute Rahab because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Now, because Joshua attained victory by following God's instructions by faith, we are now given an insight into the actions through the acts of Rahab. As where Joshua was moving into the unknown, Rahab was confronted by the unknown. And prayerfully, we, in that confrontation, might be able to learn or draw from that various truths and lessons that are applicable to us as well. Because if you think about it, how then does one respond when the unknown comes to you? When from out of the blue, a situation arises that causes you to question what you do, that causes you to question what you believe, that, that forces you to think and consider seriously about the next step that needs to be taken. So as we look at Rahab, I think we can draw from it just some really important lessons for us, and I think we would do well to take note of. So if you like to bow your heads, once again, we're going to drop from um, Hebrews 11 and go into Joshua chapter 2, where the story actually begins for us. So let's open a word of prayer as we seek what God has to teach us about being confronted by the unknown. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you know all things, you see all things, and as what was read this morning from Jono, that you truly are above all things. With our limited vision, we come to you now by faith and ask for you to give us sight. With our limited resources, we ask now that by your grace, you will meet all our needs. Father, we need you in our lives to not only lead us, but to change us, to change our priorities, to change our perspectives, to change our hearts, so that we might fall more in line with your heart and with your will. As we look at your word now, please minister to us. Please teach us. Please move within us. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you've got your Bibles, please turn to Joshua chapter 2. We're going to start off there as a bit of background. In Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, we read how Joshua secretly sends some spies to check out the land, specifically Jericho. And they are immediately identified as spies, which isn't very good if you're a spy. Uh, they, they go to this land and they're immediately identified as spies as they go to, of all places, a prostitute's home in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 2. Why go to a prostitute's home? I guess that could be a question that could arise. I I read a couple of commentators, and there's some interesting thoughts, but because they're strangers to this nation, maybe they're tourists, I guess. Maybe it was commonplace for people to go to a new land and to go check out these places of ill repute. Maybe it was being sort of less inconspicuous by these stra- instead of these strangers roaming around. Okay, let's go to somewhere where you know, it's, it's going to be visited regularly by various people. That was one idea that one commentator put. Another commentator said, well, maybe because of her career choice, for want of a better word, she would also have a lot of information. She would probably be, have uh, the insight into a lot of various things. But irrespective of the fact of the going to a prostitute's home, that's not the focus of this account. The focus of this account is how the grace of God is shown to Rahab in preparing her for the ultimate revelation of God himself. It's, it's God by grace taking the steps to show his love, his goodness, and his mercy to this woman who's an inhabitant of Jericho. Remember, she is a Canaanite. She lives in Canaan, lives in the promised land. She's an inhabitant of Jericho, and she would have bound to have been a worshiper of the various gods that the Canaanites worshiped. One person actually said, I, I did a Google of Canaan, and apparently... Canaan was a polytheistic culture. Polytheistic means that they served or worshipped many gods, meaning that there were different gods for different locations, for different situations, and that represented different things. On a side note, every man-made religion in existence shares a similar characteristic. And the characteristic is this. It is man's attempt to achieve the divine. That's what a religion is. Every man-made religion is about what you can do to attain righteousness, about what you can do to attain God's acceptance. And irrespective of the complex expressions that are revealed around us, you see this evident even in the Bible. Um, For example, let me me explain. If you look at Adam and Eve, it is man's feeble attempt to cover their own sin or to atone for their own sin by making leaves to cover themselves with. Look at that in Genesis chapter 3. It is trying to approach God on your own terms like Cain did in Genesis chapter 4 where he presented fruit and vegetables when God required a blood sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin. You read this in Hebrews where it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It is man's attempt to build a tower to the heavens, as we read in Genesis 11, when they make the Tower of Babel to show off what they are able to accomplish. In every effort that humanity takes, whether it's 
thinking positively about yourself, whether it's trying harder, whether it's doing good deeds, whether it's giving generously to a charity or to a church, whether it's to looking to the God, small g, within, or, or even to worship a God of one's own making, one's own creation. There are all these efforts that we take as people to try and attain acceptance before God. Now, look, there might be some great morals that are communicated in man-made religions. There might be some good, good themes that are promoted in man-made religions. But unless it is able to change a person's heart, unless it is able to change a person's very nature, the best man-made religions can do is help you to behave better. That's it. It does nothing to forgive your sin. It does nothing to change your standing before God. It's this, it's this formula of if I follow A, B, and C, then I'll be okay with God. That's not how it works. The difference between a man-made religion and what Christ offers, or what God offers us in Christ, is where a man-made religion is what I can do. Christianity is about what God has done as he reaches down and brings us up to his level. That's the difference. And that's what Rahab would have experienced. That's what Rahab would have lived. She would have lived a life of trying to do things, trying to experience things to appease or to yield or to find some kind of favor from the gods that are worshiped. You see this all, all the time. When John and Betty Sharp were here, you see this where they have in tribes in the middle of nowhere where they have some sort of religion of what they can do. These were views that I had even as a non-Christian years ago when I thought I could earn God's favor by doing A, B, C. And it's views that a majority of people have today. And so what we see in Rahab is this confrontation that comes to her when God shows himself through his dealings with the people of Israel. Okay? God deals with Israel in such a way that the reputation goes out and starts affecting people. Here's a thought I want you to hold on to. Never dismiss the impact that a godly and consistent testimony can have. Never dismiss the impact that a godly, consistent testimony can have. How can I know this? Look at what, he, what she says. In verses 8 to 11 of Joshua chapter 2, we read this. A Rahab has hidden the spies, and she says, Before the spies lay down, in verse 8, for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you. Stop there. How did she know? How did she know? What had she heard? What did she see? What was it about Israel going through what they were going through that caught her attention? What news traveled about Israel and about Israel's God? What specifically caused her to make a mental note that the land that she lived in had actually been given and promised to somebody else? But it wasn't just her, because you read further on that the whole city was feeling this as well. In verse 9, we read that a great fear of you, meaning Israel, has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. This is the fulfillment of God's promise that he made to Israel as they were about to enter into the promised land. Basically, he says, if you love the Lord, if you obey the Lord, if you follow me and my ways, he says this, no one will be able to stand against you. The Lord your God, as he 
promised you will put the terror and fear of you on the whole land wherever you go. That's in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 25. And it's this promise that Rahab testifies to now. Once again, never dismiss the impact of a godly, consistent testimony. The thing, the thing is this, the, the, the people of Jericho had a fear that was justified. When the stories came to them about this people, and the stories that they heard about this God and what he did for his people, you read this in verses 10 and 11 of chapter two. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea when you came out of Egypt. How long ago did that happen? Over 40 years ago. Over 40 years ago, they heard a story of when, sorry, over 40 years ago, God delivered Israel from Egypt via the Red Sea and destroyed Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's army. And yet, that story is still being held on to. You carry on reading. And what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, when you, whom you, sorry, completely destroyed. Once again, another event that took place, not as far back as the Red Sea thing, but it happened nonetheless. If you look in Deuteronomy 1.4, Deuteronomy, sorry, Deuteronomy 1.4, you see this. The reality was that the reputation of the God of Israel was not some story that had faded off into history. It wasn't some story that was to be forgotten and classed as legend and to be ignored. No, these events, as well as everything in between, these events were testaments of what God was doing through his people. The same God that freed the God, freed them from the land of Egypt, is the same God that destroyed Og and Sihon of the Amorites, and is the same God that is now knocking on the door of Jericho. And then you read at the end of verse 11, we, when we heard of it, our hearts sank and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven and on the earth. Once again, never dismiss the impact of a godly, consistent testimony, which is what God had done time and time and time again. See, what makes that such a big deal is that it was common knowledge in those days for the various people who worshipped different gods, their power was at their greatest in their homelands. Their influence was at their greatest in their homelands. In Ruth chapter one, when Orpah and Ruth go off with Naomi and Naomi says, now you go off home, Orpah goes. And then she says to Ruth, you, you go as well. And you read this in Ruth chapter one, verse 15. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. Now, these stories that had reached Jericho about Egypt, about the kings of the Amorites, these stories would have represented the greatness and the majesty, but most importantly, the power of a God that loves his people. Why? Because they heard stories of how God delivered Israel from Egypt. They would have heard stories about the 10 plagues, about the frogs, about the flies, about the lice. They would have heard the fire coming down, about the fire coming down from heaven, the destruction of the crops. They would have heard all about that. Then they would have heard about the killing of the firstborn. Where is all this taking place? In Egypt. 
the God of Israel had power over Egypt in Egypt. And so for them, they were like, hang on a sec. This God must be a great God if he's in another land destroying that land. They come to the edge of the, of the promised land where they destroy two more kings. And once again, they destroy the kings of the Amorites and their gods. Once again, displaying the power of the God of Israel. All of Israel's stories of this God that has gone from place to place, this God who has reigned over each situation, would have struck fear into the hearts of the people of Jericho. Because now this God was there. It's no wonder she says in verse 11 that he is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Because it's now more than ever this reality was knocking and staring, knocking on the door and staring at them directly in the face. As I shared, you cannot deny the consistency of a godly testimony. And you'll notice that the primary focus is not Israel and what Israel were able to do, but what God could do through Israel, what God did with his people. And this is where Rahab is confronted. All of this story, all of this magnificence of this God has now confronted her personally. See, she doesn't know intimately who this God is. She doesn't know what this God is like. She's unaware completely of this God who is confronting her. But what little light she does have, what little bit she does know, she does the following as a gracious God reaches out to her, as this gracious God reveals himself to her. Now, this is a bit of a long reading, but if you look at verses 12 to 21, we read this, because this is what she does. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sign, a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. Verse 14, our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through a window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. So she said to them, go to the hills so that, there are, so that the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return and then go on your way. Now the men said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down and unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we'll be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. This is why the scarlet cord is referenced in Hebrews 11. She had nothing else to go on except the word of these two men. Yes, she helped them. Yes, she did some stuff of benefit for them but they were not obligated to do so as far as she was concerned. She, like Joshua, who had to move into the unknown, had to rely on a word given to her in order to escape the coming destruction. This is the ultimate expression of faith, 
of trusting in a truth that is being made known. And this is what she does. It's like when the Israelites were commanded to look at the bronze serpent on the stick when they were bitten by a snake. Yes, they could be told, that's fine. But it's not until they exercise their faith by looking at the serpent on the stick that they received healing. This is faith. Faith is the action that, the action that follows what you believe. The ultimate expression of faith is demonstrated by what she does with what she is told. And the promise of safety only applied to those who were in her home when Israel arrives. Much like Noah and the closing of the door in the ark, much like Moses when he put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and on the cross lentil, much like the people who, who had to rely on what God had to say, including ourselves, in order to be delivered from destruction with those and us who obeyed the word of the Lord and followed the instructions given. Now, what I like about the story of Rahab is that I see similarities in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the scriptures clearly state that there are none that seek after God. You read that in Psalm, 9, sorry, Psalm 14, verses 1 to 3. Even when he reveals himself through the heavens and the earth, like it says in Psalm 19, 1, we, all we like sheep, go astray. All we look for our own way, Isaiah 53 says. But like Rahab, God reached out to me in the person of Jesus Christ the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and and that through faith in him I can be forgiven of my sin, that I look at what he done for me on the cross when he bore the brunt of my sin and died so that I might be made new. As I shared before, all of our efforts fall short. We are told that in the scriptures. We all have sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. And we all fall short of his standard of holiness and perfection that he requires. But this is why Jesus Christ confronts us. He challenges everything we believe or what we think we believe about himself and reveals to us the truth. And we can have one of two responses. We can either say, I'll try it myself, or we can submit and say, I believe that you are Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. And in the newness of our standing before him by faith, we then can be transitioned from being confronted by, and by the unknown in Christ and then with Christ be able to move into the unknown with him. And this is what I want us to think about as we look to the future, as we look at what God is challenging us with as we look at the uncertainties, even now, that we are still faced with. We can, bef- we can perform freedoms that have been denied us the past few months. Somebody asked me, how do you feel? I shared this with some people already. How do you feel about the freedoms that you have now, the freedom day that you got to experience? And I says, bro, I feel like someone stole my wallet, gave me back my wallet, and expected me to celebrate has given it back to me. That's, that's what I feel like right now. Because they're already ours. They, they, we, we've, I mean, granted, we've been given the ultimate freedom in Christ, but the fact that we get to do this now, 
This is amazing. This is what I call the unknown of opportunity that faces us now. We're confronted with the opportunity to make the most of what we have now. We, as a church, have prayer meeting on Wednesday night. There's the opportunity we have to gather in person and pray. Pray corporately. Pray as for, for each other. Pray for the way things are going in the world today. Pray for, for the Lord's return. Pray for people's needs specifically. We have the unknown of that opportunity laid out before us, which means this, what are we going to do with it? Are we going to hold on to it and use it to the to maximum capacity it can be used? Or are we just going to carry on going through the motions and existing from moment to moment? That's the unknown that's before us. Why wait for once a month? Why, why wait for once a month to pray? Why can't we as people just contact a brother or sister and say, can you pray with me? Let's, I, I just want to pray. It doesn't have to be once a month. We can just contact somebody and say, I, I want to pray with you. Can you join me for a coffee so we can pray? That's the, that's the unknown of opportunity that's laid out before us. We have a building that could be used again. Praise God that there are people here. That's awesome. And I'm so encouraged. And I'm so excited. I was smiling when I walked in this morning. And Joyce said, you're looking very giddy. And I, and I thought it was just because I was being goofy. But I was, yeah, she said, I think it's because people are going to be here. And you're right. I was excited because people are here. But we have this building which we're using for a gingerbread workshop that, that we're using for, we can use for a prayer and worship night. We have a resource here that's been given to us by God and we have the unknown of opportunity laid out before us. What can we do where we can serve the community with this building? What can we do to have an impact to show the love of Jesus? I had a great conversation with Joyce this morning when we were just talking about that. What can we do as a church? Why has God placed us here in Castle Hill in this building with this community around us where we can shine as a light? What can we do to maximize that shine? That's the unknown of opportunity laid out before us. You want unknown of opportunity? We have a generation of youngsters up there that we have the opportunity to raise in the word and in the ways of the Lord. That you guys at your homes have young souls that can be invested into. That if you're grandparents, you can continue to pray for and to bless. A generation that can take possession of the inheritance. I remember years ago, Pastor Ben established and said, I want to raise up the Joshua generation. Bunch of young people to come over and take over the church. Well, you know what? That's our Joshua generation upstairs. That's the, the, the generation that we can invest into, especially how uncertain things are in the world today and how crazy things are in the world today where people can think one way and do another and think it's everything okay. You hear the news that a guy can be a girl because he thinks that way. You have all these things that are going on today and we have an opportunity to raise a generation that are solid in the word of God that can shine as a light when, and, and give certainty in a world that is full of unknowns. And, and, here's, and, and I'm, not, I'm not dogging on parents, okay? I'm not, I'm not dogging on parents here, but what happens here? Like I look at Joe and I look at Grizz and I look at Faith and what they're doing. They're doing a great job with the kids. They, I mean, the kids love Sunday school. And, and the kids, and my, my daughter and my wife and Joe, they love investing into the kids. But you know what Sunday school is? You know what happens upstairs? You know what that, that is supplementary to what should be happening at home. That's not the main diet. That's not the feed. 
That's the snack that they get to refresh them. It should be happening in the home. They should see the love of God demonstrated in the parents. They should see how passionate you are for the things of God in the lives of the parents. That it should be happening in the home or in the grandparents' home or in the uncle's home. So when they come to church, they, they just get a little top up because they're filled at home. It's like, it's like having it at school. At school, they, school start making breakfast for kids because they don't eat at home. That's not what the church is supposed to be. We don't give the meals here. We give the snacks. We give the top-ups. But the same thing applies to our Christian lives. You don't come here to get your main feeds. You come here to get the top-ups. You should be feeding yourself at home. You should be stepping up by faith at home. You should be doing those things at home. That as you're confronted by the unknown, and as God moves you into the unknown, you come here, what happens? You get a top-up. No, no, you get a top-up. You top up other people. That's what should be happening. That's how it should be happening. With the unknowns of the opportunities laid out before us means that you and I can approach the unknown with confidence. Not because we have anything of worth to offer, but because of who walks with us into the unknown. That's why. It's like, okay, you, you, for those of you who don't know, I have the two little twins, Nola and Tina. And we've got quite a large house. And when things are like dark or whatever, and they want to go down the other end of the house when everybody's down one end, they'll ask me this, Uncle, can you come with me? And I'll be like, yeah, sure. And I'll go. You know why she wants to go with me? Because I'm scary. No, it's because she feels comforted knowing that her uncle is there. She doesn't want to go into the unknown by herself. But she knows, once she knows and once she's assured that I am there, so when she goes in there and she'll ask me this, Uncle, are you there? I'm here. And that gives her peace. So it is with us. But here's the thing. We must be willing to step into the unknown, knowing that our God is with us, knowing that our Lord is with us, and that when we say, Lord, are you there? You know what he says? I'm here, I've never left. I'm still here. And that's what lays out before us. This is the unknown that we're confronted by, but we're only confronted by it for the purpose of moving into it as well. If, if Joshua can step into the Jordan River and see the, world, the, 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 the waters part, if Rahab can leave a scarlet cord outside a window and see God deliver her. And, and you read this, and you read this in Joshua chapter six. Look at this, verses 22 and 23. We read this, I'm reading from the CSB. Joshua said, this is after the walls have come down. Joshua said to the two men who scouted the land, go to the prostitute's house and bring the woman out of there and all who were with her, just as you swore to her. Verse 23, so the young men who had scouted went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers and all who belonged to her. They brought out her whole family and settled them outside the camp of Israel. You know what Rahab did when she got given that word? She went out and she preached that word to her family and said, if you want to avoid destruction, if you want to avoid being, basically being killed, then come into my home. She evangelized. She went out and evangelized so that they too would miss out on the coming destruction. And what did God do? God kept his word. God kept his word. God calls you and I 
And this is the confrontation that we're faced with now. God has called you and I to obey his word, to step out on that word, and then to watch what happens when he fulfills it. But you're never gonna experience that if you're gonna be sitting off in the back. You're never gonna experience that if you don't actually get up and take that step. So, when there are challenges or invitations or when there's something asking, being asked of you to can you serve, can you be a part of this, can you help out there, instead of automatically saying, no, let me pray about it, say, yes, Lord, and watch what God will do. Which is something I wanna close with at the moment is the fact that in the next couple of weeks, I'm gonna finish Hebrews chapter 11 next week but what we've done, and, and we spoke as some leaders and we discussed what can we do to bless the church? What can we do to benefit the church as well as anybody at home? And so what we've done is I, I looked at various church campaigns. Somebody said, let's do a church campaign or let's do something along those lines. And I, I, I heard the needs of various people. And I thought, well, that's an idea. And, and what we've come up with is a, a devotional uh, that I, I want us to do as a church. A devotional where everyone will get, it's, it's 21 days of prayer, 21 days of prayer. And now I don't know how legit this is. Somebody said it was 40 days, but apparently 21 days or three weeks is all it takes to form a good habit or form a bad habit, form a habit, okay? So what I did, I asked, I asked a bunch of the leaders to do a devotional and we're looking at 21 prayers that the Apostle Paul makes in the New Testament. And each day for those 21 days, there's gonna be a prayer there's gonna be a couple of questions for you to actually journal stuff in. There's gonna be a little devotion from one of your leaders as well. But there's also gonna be one aspect of it. It's what's called the faith in action, where you will be asked to do something. It'll be something like this. Uh, contact Pastor Joe and give him money. That's no, 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 no. Contact Pastor Joe and, and, and pray for him. Or it'll be, it'll be um, link up with somebody for the 21 days and pray consistently together. You know, once a week or whatever it might be, you organize that. Pray for one unsaved person and then halfway through the actual program, it'll be like, pray that you'll share the gospel with them and then halfway through the program, it'll be like, go share the gospel with that person. But it's only gonna benefit you if you do it. And so we're gonna have that, not next week, but the week after, we're gonna start this 21 days of prayer. And I would like everybody in the church to be a part of it. We'll put the resource on, on the website so you can download. But even that, I want you to actually print off the actual booklet itself. I want you to have something physical to hold on to and to use. Don't just do it online. And, and this is something, just something small where we can start reconnecting as a church, but not only just reconnecting with each other for the sake of catching up. Hey, Alyssa, it's good to see you again. You know, it's, it's more than just that. It's more that, Alyssa, how can I pray for you because you're looking really terrible. You know, you know what I mean? Or how can you pray for me? Because I'm looking terrible. It's where we can be involved and then as people be involved in the community around us. It, it's time, okay, I don't wanna say this in the wrong way, but it's time to stop playing church. It's time to stop playing church. It's time to start being the church and living like the church. I think, I think with the last few months with what we've gone through, the world needs Jesus. The world needs Jesus, and the best way he's gonna be discovered is through you and I. So, that's your confrontation this morning, being confronted by the unknown for the purpose of you and I together moving into the unknown and seeing what God 
will do. And I guarantee you this, you will not be let down. So with that, I'm going to ask for you to be standing. Close your eyes. We'll close in a word of prayer. I was going to get Carissa up to sing, but no. I want us to just meditate on that. Just meditate on this now. And then I'm looking forward to, to spending time in person with you guys in fellowship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and thank you for the example of Rahab. We thank you for the example of Joshua. More importantly, Lord, we thank you for the way you worked in each of these people's lives. And you desire to do such a work in our life too. Father, we repent of any of the bad attitudes that we've had. We repent of any of the selfishness that we've been caught up with in our own lives. And, and I ask, Lord, that you, by your grace, will help us to shed away the things of this world, to lay them to one side so that we might look unto you, the author and perfecter of our faith, so that we might prioritize the things of God and the things of eternity above what we desire. And Father, that we ultimately would just fall more, more in love with you. We ask for you to start prompting, start prodding our hearts that we will not be comfortable. We will not just go through the motions, but rather that we'll be ignited by your Holy Spirit, that we'll be transformed by your power, and that we will boldly go out and proclaim your name to a world that is in desperate need of you. We ask for you to dismiss us now. Glorify yourself in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen.